Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Bucknuts Happy Hour. It is the first college football playoff edition, though we've been talking about this game for what feels like the last three months. I'm Patrick Murphy. I'm sitting here in the hospitality suite at our hotel in Atlanta. I am joined to start by Dave Biddle, also of Bucknuts and 247 Sports. Dave decided to take this in in his room, but let me tell you, Dave has spent as much time as, as I have down in this room where they feed us great food and they give us good drinks. So uh, figured there's no better place to record a happy hour themed podcast than where the beer flows and there's some liquor and, and things like that. Dave, uh, how's your room? Mine was really hot. I couldn't get the air to turn on. So that was part of the reason I came down here too. I'm happy with it. Um, I have mixed reviews. I mean, the hotel itself is is very nice. But I heard mixed reviews about the rooms. Um, I actually like my room. We have a great view. This is the fourth largest or the fourth tall fourth tallest hotel in the Western Hemisphere, and the thirtieth thirtieth tallest in the world. Seventy three uh, floors here at uh, the Westin in Atlanta. So um, yeah, I'm a I'm a happy man. I'm nice. Yeah, the room's been great. Everything's been great. I just for some reason. Like yesterday, it got really warm in there. I think it's because the sun comes in in the afternoon. I tried closing the – it doesn't matter. Anyway, I was like, I'm going to go downstairs. Uh, we may be joined here by Steve Hellwagon to talk some Buckeyes here in a little bit. Dave's going to stay on for about half of this, and then the second half of the podcast we're going to have on Jordan Hill from our Georgia site to give kind of the other perspective. If you're uh, watching this live with us, feel free to throw some comments in the comment section if you have any questions. Oh, look, there he is. Steve. I made it. You made it. Steve is also up in his room. I, I told them I'm down in the hospitality suite. I I needed a beer. Um, there you go. Hour. But let's get into this. And Steve, I know you got to do the basketball game, which as we're recording is just kicking off. So I want to start with you and just let, let's start with what do the Buckeyes have to do in each of your minds to win this game? I know that sounds like a simple question, probably not a simple answer. What do you think, Steve? 
I think you got to play great football at the line of scrimmage. I think that's uh, probably the, the very first thing. And I think that's true of almost every talent equated game that you're going to play is that it's going to be yeah. won and lost at the line of scrimmage. And so to me, I, I just look at it that uh, that's, that's probably the biggest thing is that, that uh, the guys up front on offense have to protect C.J. Stroud, and then uh, the guys up front on uh, defense have got to find a way to him in uh, uh, Stetson Bennett and not allow him to break contain and keep plays alive. He had a play against Tennessee uh, that's uh, famous where a blitz came right up the middle and he barely got away from the guy and he got out to the edge and then he juked the guy at about the three yard line and dove at the pylon and scored. And he showed all of his athletic ability on that play. And he is very dangerous allowed to, to uh, keep plays alive. We saw this with Toledo. We saw it with Michigan that if uh, they allow the opposing quarterback to, uh, to stay alive in the pocket and make plays, that it's it's going to be devastating. So, uh, to me, those are probably the the two the two the two big things. I mean, people talk a lot about the skill positions and everything else, but this truly is a game that's going to be won, I think, up front. Uh, I like Ohio State's chances. They're going to be right in this thing, I think, if the guys up front come to play. Yeah, some keys for me. I mean, I'll, I'll piggyback on what Steve said. I mean, certainly um, this game will be won in the trenches. If Ohio State, does, they lose the battle in the trenches for everything else out. Um, let's say they do win the battle. It's at least a stalemate. I think another huge thing for Ohio State is not to be tight. you got to play loose. Ryan Day said this himself. Basically, him admitting that he coached way too tight. They played way too tight against Michigan, in my opinion, in those exact words. So, got to win the battle a lot of got to stay aggressive offensively if you're Ohio State. And then Ohio State's defense, I feel like people are talking about Georgia's offense enough. Steve Rodgers, their offense is actually ranked higher than their defense. Okay, Georgia's defense is very good. It's not an elite defense, like that, but their offense is better. But they don't have a lot of speed on the outside at wide receiver. They're a little banged up on offense. They've got a really good running back, McIntosh. Um, he's a really good receiver out of the backfield. And, of course, they've got the best tight end I can remember in college football. So, you know, Ohio State did a good job against Michael Mayer, but that was there was only one of them, and Notre Dame's quarterback couldn't throw the ball. Okay, they've got two Michael Mayers who might even be better, and Stetson Bennett can actually throw the football. I thought a couple years ago he was, like, lucky to even be in college football. And then he turned into a pretty good quarterback last year, and then he was a really good college quarterback. I don't know if he's going to be an NFL guy. So, guys, win the battle line of scrimmage. Turnovers are going to be huge. The ball has to bounce the Buckeyes' way in this game. They cannot lose the turnover battle and win this game. So, there you go. There are some keys to victory. They have to play well on both sides of the ball and special teams. Yeah, the, the turnover thing, I think you go back and look at – the 2014 run, and I know people want to compare it to that. Turnovers, I think the Buckeyes had seven for themselves. That defense became very opportunistic at the end of that season, uh, kind of changed the, the whole situation uh, of that team at the end of the year. You know, obviously playing with a third-string quarterback and everything's a little different than what we've got going on here. But that would that would definitely make life easier on the offense. And this defense has shown they can, they can turn the ball over at times. It hasn't been – all the time, but uh, I think that would be huge. I also think that the the thing you said, Dave, and I think you can't stress this enough: playing loose, playing free. Coat that starts with the coaches and all the way down. I certainly think Ryan Day was tight against Michigan. 
I think he's been tight in a lot of big games since, you know, the, the Clemson game, uh, maybe in 2019, 2020, I guess, when they, uh, when they played Clemson and won. But I don't know if it's pressure. I don't know what has gone on in, in kind of the, the minds of the coaching staff. But if you just if you just go out and play, you have the talent to play with Georgia. Uh, does that mean you win the game? No, not necessarily. But I at least want this to, to be a competitive game and not have it turn into what the Michigan game did because of mistakes and guys scared to, to just do what they are, are trained to do. Uh, and, and I think that's huge for them. Um, Anything to either of you that's really stood out from our interviews this week when we're talking with the Ohio State guys? Maybe maybe a thing or two that somebody said or, or a you know, question that guys have been asked that you, know, you thought stood out about what could happen in this game? I, I could share a couple tidbits of things. We, we drafted guys to talk to at the media day because you only get 45 minutes with the whole team, and we didn't want to have any overlap with me talking to somebody and these guys also talking to them. So, and we, we did a great cover, job. Yeah, we, we were able to cover uh, a lot of ground by doing that. And I talked to Kyle McCord, the backup quarterback, and even though he hasn't gotten to play a whole lot, he took me through his preparation and he said, if something were to happen, you know, we saw it with what the Gilbert, the Garrett Gilbert game with Texas years ago, where the backup had to go in there. It, God forbid you don't want anything, you know, to happen to CJ Stroud. I mean, that's just from a human standpoint, beyond the football standpoint. But he was very impressive to me with what he talked about his preparation every day and how they've worked with him, how they've developed him and everything else. And he said he's ready. If they need him, he could go in there and, and do what he's got to do. So to me, that was one thing. Uh, Matthew Jones, wow, got some comments from him that were kind of interesting. Uh, he said he is back full go 100%. And he said that although he was honored at senior day right now, it, it seems like he might come back next year and play another year for the Buckeyes. I had written him off as a pro, you know, leaving type guy. And he said, no, there's a good chance that he might come back because I don't know what his draft stock is. But, you know, if he comes back and plays his way up into the second round, you know, which, again, for offensive guards, I don't even know if they go that high in the draft typically. But, uh, you know, it's, it sounded to me like a guy that, that, that's got an idea, you know, of what he wants to do. Uh, Denzel Burke, uh, he says he's 150%. He had shoulder problem and a hand problem and uh, missed two games altogether during the course of the season. But he is back uh, full go. And uh, he's raring to go, and he knows they've got their hands full with these tight ends, obviously. So it's going to take a village, you know, 11 guys to, to contain them. But I think Burke, to me, you know, maybe if the injuries hadn't happened, he would have been an all-Big Ten, you know, legit, you know, I don't know if he was second team or honorable mention or whatever, but, he, you know, he would have been regarded potentially as one of the top corners in the Big Ten. So uh, to me, that's good that he's full go. And another guy was Xavier Johnson. He also was recognized at the senior day, and he is going for his master's degree in some kind of data analysis type thing, uh, technology type thing. He explained it. I've got it on tape somewhere, and I'll type it out one of these days when I get to it. But uh, he said there is a chance that he might come back too. And Marvin Harrison yesterday when we talked to him, said that the one guy he he wants to see make a play in this game or a guy to watch in this game is 
Xavier Johnson. And that's kind of true because he had the 50-yard kick return against Maryland. And if he can spark a big play on special teams or get in on offense and make a play, you know, they've run the reverse to him a few times as well, which has been outstanding. So uh, uh, Marvin said, don't sleep on Xavier in this game. And Xavier said there's a possibility he could come back. So uh, I think a lot of guys want to get through this game through this week. And, you know, perhaps if they win the game, obviously go on the next week and play whoever in L.A. But uh, uh, he's, you know, contemplated, you know, the potential that he might come back. So those were probably four or five of the high points that I had today. Some other guys that we don't talk to on a regular basis, like we, we could tell you all about C.J. Stroud all you want. But, you know, these are some guys that are – Noteworthy players, nonetheless. I'm sure you guys got a couple today, too, uh, of different guys that you talked to. Yeah, it's funny you bring up Matt Jones because one of my guys was Josh Fryer, who stepped in when Matt Jones got hurt, and I thought played really well. And uh, talked to Josh about that and about being – before that, being the sixth man when they do the the jumbo sets, he'd come in as that extra lineman just like Donovan Jackson did last year. I did ask him, it's like, Josh, what do you expect your role is going to be on Saturday? And he kind of looked at me and goes – He's a really nice kid. He's like, I'll have to say no comment on that. So I wasn't sure at the time because I didn't, I didn't hear Matt Jones's comment at the time. So I walked away from that thinking, oh, I want, I wonder if Matt Jones is still banged up, and, and Josh just doesn't want to say he's starting at right guard. But Steve has has the goods. Matt Jones sounds like he will start, and Josh will go back to his sixth man role. Uh, but I think he's going to be a big part of the future. I like that kid. Um, Devin Brown stood out to me. I'm telling you, there's something. I did a story for the site today. Uh, I talked to him for a while. There's something special about this young man, I, just as, as, a, as a person. I'm not saying he's going to you know, be the starting quarterback next year or what, or he's going to be a great quarterback, though I'm pretty confident that he's going to be a good quarterback at Ohio State. But I'm telling you, there's something special about this young man talking to him. I encourage everybody to get on Bucknuts. You can read the story. It's free. Uh, we have a video with it. And then I, I had a chance to ask Ryan Day a few questions. Um, at, I got lucky. When I went over there, there was hardly anybody over by Ryan Day. It's like me and like two other reporters. It was crazy. And I said, coach, I'm like, I know injuries are a part of football, but I don't remember an Ohio State team having to deal with so many injuries during a course of a season. Can you get into that? And also, how much did this five weeks off help you guys get healthy? The latter question, he was like, it's been huge. They feel like they're the healthiest, healthiest they've been all season. And as far as like the rash of injuries, he said it was just a couple of positions that really got hit hard. You know, like wide receiver, you know, and corner. He went into in some of that. So he said, yeah, it is a part of football, but it did feel like we were, you know, dealing with a lot of stuff this year. And he talked about how they tried to manage things. Um, I do wonder going forward if he's going to maybe be a little bit more forthcoming when a guy like Travion Henderson is dealing with a broken foot so he doesn't have to take so much shit from fans saying he's soft. But there's a few of the things that stood out to me. It was really nice talking to some of the young guys that we never get to talk to. I also talked to Tegra Shabola, another guy, a freshman, I think is going to be a big part of the future. Kojo Antwi, a wide receiver. He's another kid who's got a great personality, and I'm hearing good things about him in practice. So it was really cool. That's what I love about bowl media days is we get everybody on the team. It's not Ohio State picking and choosing seven or eight guys. We get everybody on the team. So that was fantastic today. I think you guys hit on some some really good ones there. Just in a general sense, I've felt that – and you tell me if you guys think this is right or wrong. I've felt that this team has a lot of confidence, and not in a bad way, not cocky. They're not arrogant. But I think, you know, yeah, they lost to Michigan, and they know that was bad. They know they didn't play well, but I think they also just realized, hey, we're really freaking talented, and so is Georgia, and they have admitted that. But, you know, like they were asked about, you know, did they see any advantages, and they were like, we, we have advantages all over the field. 
Um, and that wasn't meant in disrespect to Georgia. This is just this is a really talented football team. And when they play their best, and maybe they haven't played their best yet, they can play with anyone in the country, I think. And so I think that says a lot. Um, you know, they're in practice every day. Now, you know, were they confident going into Michigan? Yeah, they were. Um, but maybe that kind of kick in the butt was, uh, was exactly what they needed. Um, and then the other thing, a lot of guys were asked about, you know, Georgia last year losing to Alabama in the SEC championship game and then going on, obviously, and they lost, I think, by 17 points, going on and winning the national championship against Georgia, a scenario that could play out similarly in this college football playoff. And a lot of guys downplayed it and said, we're thinking about us. But a couple guys, Emeka, Buka, and a few others uh, were like, look, that we know that there's a path to do that. And I thought that was interesting. You know, if, if a couple guys are admitting it, then it's clearly at least been some kind of conversation. So, uh, you know, just just interesting that that just last year against the team they're playing on Saturday, this similar type of uh, situation played out. And obviously the Buckeyes are aware of that. Steve, I know you got to cover the basketball game from from afar, so I'll let you get out of there. Any last points you want to make about this game before you go? No, I agree with you about the quiet confidence. I, I didn't see a team that was panicking about being in over their head. You know, like you, the outside world doesn't seem to be giving them much of a chance. I personally haven't been given them much of a chance, but I do feel and sense that this is a team that believes it can do this. Uh, we were in the car with our, our friend Roddy, who covers uh, the Georgia team for the rival site uh, down at Georgia. And I've just known him over the years from going to the NFL Combine and uh, meeting him there. And, you know, we were all in agreement that repeating as the national champion is very difficult. If it was easy, people would do it. Nobody's done it in the playoff era. And uh, particular, I think about the Ohio State team in 2015, that it was just so difficult for those guys to come back and and after winning it and dealing with all the distractions and everything else, you can remember that season, there were guys banged up, there were guys suspended for mistakes in the off season, and different things like that. They they uh, they they tried to play a game on five days rest. You know, after the opener at Virginia Tech, it was just a lot of stupid things that kind of came together there that, uh, you know, held that team back. And I'm not saying that Georgia is ripe for an upset. Uh, they at least got to the to the playoff. They at least got to the Final Four. So there's something there. They're 13-0. and 0. Uh, They have had a couple steps along the way, That some tough games. Missouri gave them a really, really tough game. Um, so, you know, I think Ohio State's right where it needs to be, right where it should be. And now they need to go out and prove it to themselves and prove it to the world that they deserve to be here and that they are one of the top two teams in the country. And uh, they can do that here on Saturday if they're able to, to come out of here. They're going into the Lions' den. Um, man, it's going to be three to one, I think, Georgia to Ohio State. Uh, anybody out there who's going, send us a message. Let us know. Send up a flare. Let us know if you're coming because uh, we'll keep the light on for you down here because it, it's looking awful uh, red and black down here right now. So I don't know. Uh, people are starting to show up here in anticipation of the game. I will get out of here. Guys, great talking to you, and I'm sure you're going to fill up this time with uh, so much more insight about where this thing's going. I'm getting a little better idea about it now as we go. And they're even showing some screen grabs from practice today on the basketball game right now. And uh, the guys on the field, you know, kind of get you a little, little excited 
Saturday night, eight o'clock, the popcorn's going to be popping and the band's going to be playing. And, you know, it's, it's going to be there for the taking if Ohio state can do it. Uh, this basketball's on big 10 Ohio state's ahead 21, 17 right now, 11 minutes to go first half. And, uh, this Alabama A&M team's not very good, but, you know, we'll see if the Buckeyes can uh, put them away here on Big Ten Network. All right. Thanks, Steve. We'll, right, uh, we'll see you down here in a little while once you're done oh, with the yeah. basketball game. Oh, All yeah. right. Talk to you later. Thanks. All right, Dave. Uh, question here from, uh, from David Greenshield. Do you expect Chipper Dallin to get more carries? I really want to make this a bigger running back question first. What do you – we know Matt Mayan's been – under the weather, as they've put it. He was back at practice today. I was there. It was only about 15 minutes, but he was doing everything with the running backs. How do you how do you think they'll they'll handle this? You know, mine's had time to get healthy, but now he's dealing with some injuries. How do you think they'll handle the running backs on, on Saturday? Yeah, presuming that this was not a serious illness for Mayan and he's close to 100% health-wise, not talking about anything like any body parts, but just like, you know, not feeling under the weather. If he's like at least 95% or better, um that's huge because i do think physically um he was banged up as we all know the second half of the season and now he's had five weeks to rest and he told us a couple weeks ago that he was at a hundred percent that the ankle the high ankle sprain felt like it was like a hundred percent finally and that was a couple weeks ago so it's absolutely huge so i think there's no question in my mind Mayan williams is going to be the bell cow they're going to ride him but it's georgia has the best rush defense in the country they're susceptible against the past they're the number one rush defense in the country number 51 against the pass. Their corners are not very good for Georgia's standards. I'm not saying these guys suck. Um, for Georgia's standards, they're not that good. They've got a couple of good safeties. Jalen Carter is the best defensive tackle in college football by a lot. Um, he'll be a top three pick, top four at the very least. Um, so, but yeah, I think Mayan Williams, you got to at least run the ball a little bit, okay? But I think the way Ohio State's going to win this game is by passing it, by being aggressive. Um, but they're going to have to mix in some runs. And that's going to include C.J. Stroud hopefully getting a one or two cheap first downs. It's all One or two cheap first downs. That's all I want with the legs. But as far as the, the top backup, it's a real good one because I've been more impressed with Dallin, but it sounds like he's been having ball security issues in practice. I'll say Dallin will get more carries than Chip, but Mayan will be the bell cow. You bring up C.J. and, like, look, we've beaten this. It's a dead horse at this point. Like, we've talked about C.J. running. He did it a little bit against Northwestern. A little bit against Indiana, didn't do it against Michigan. I don't know how much you can expect from him. But, look, if there's a time to do it, it's now, right? Like, if you're worried about being hurt, if you get hurt in the college football playoff, unless it's severe, it's not going to affect your draft stock. You've shown what you can do. And if it means you can help your team go out and win a national championship, that's only going to help. Um, you know, CJ was asked about it earlier this week. A uh, guy asked – he said he talked to an NFL scout who said he's the best in the pocket quarterback that's going to be available for this draft, but he wants to see him freelance a little bit more. And, you know, CJ said he is who he is and, you know, he knows he can do it when he needs to. So we'll see. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not betting on CJ changing his game for this game, but I, you know, for the Buckeye's sake, I hope I'm wrong. Um, we also got asked is Mike jr. Mike Hall Jr. healthy, and do you think the best players are going to play the majority of the snaps? Uh, I wrote about Mike Hall uh, earlier this week. If you want to go read that, it's on Bucknuts. But, yes, he, like Mayan Williams said this time, has helped him a lot. I think he could be a difference maker. You know, you saw that. I go back to that Michigan State game, Dave, when he played, like, what, 11 snaps and had two and a half sacks or, you know, whatever it was. And 
he's an impressive player when he's healthy. It's just been being healthy. But what do you think about the best players are going to play the majority of the snaps? Because I think some people would argue, you know, maybe some of the younger guys are maybe the more talented guys, you know, like could a Sonny Styles, for instance, be big in this game, but like he hasn't played that much. So you're throwing him out there against Georgia. I'm just using that as an example, but what do you, what do you think of that question? Yeah. I mean, Sonny's a guy that no question is going to be a future star in my opinion. I, I know I'm not alone in that opinion. I don't know if he's going to have play a big role on Saturday because they, you know, they have Lathan Ransom. They have Ronnie Hickman. Um, Ronnie's already announced he's going to go pro. So I have no doubt Sonny Styles is going to be a starter next year. They'll probably move uh, Lathan to the adjuster and Sonny will be the bandit. Um, but looking at the D line, I would love to tell you, yes, the best players are going to play period, but it's so weird to me. The philosophies of Jim Knowles in the back seven and Larry Johnson on the D line do not mesh at all. What's what's Jim Knowles' strategy. They're the starters for a reason. Play the starters as much as possible. And we see that in the back seven, they play the starters as much as possible. What do we see on the D line? It's a fire drill, okay? It's a revolving door, okay? And I know you want to keep guys fresh, but there's got to be a line. You know, I think Mike Hall, if he is close to 100%, he needs to be out there for the vast majority of snaps, okay? He's the best defensive tackle on this team. Tyleek Williams, we don't get to see practice other than like, you know, 15-minute clips here and there. But when they're going live, I don't know, maybe he hasn't been practicing well. That's a mystery to me because coming into the season, they said the only reason he didn't play more last year as a true freshman was he wasn't in you know, physical shape to play a lot of snaps. And they said, that's no longer an issue. So if that's no longer an issue, maybe he's just not playing well in practice. I don't know. But I thought those are the two best defensive tackles on the team. Uh, although Teron Vincent's played well this year. I get Teron Vincent in there. Uh, I'd like to see those three play the most at D-tackle. Okay, but Larry Johnson, he's going to rotate Jerron Cage in there. He's going to rotate Ty Hamilton in there. So look for five D-tackles to play. I would love to tell you they're only really going to play three. They'll probably play five. Do you have a question or two that you need answered in this game by the Buckeyes? And let's not even, this doesn't even necessarily have to be to win, but like we talked, we did this video after the Michigan game and I know you were, you were fired up. Uh, I think everyone was fired up after that performance. So like, what do you need to see answered? Let's say Ohio state, we know Ohio state doesn't win, but they play well like to, enough to give you confidence to go into the offseason like, okay, yeah, you just got beat by a better Georgia team. What what questions have to be answered that maybe weren't answered second half of the season, end of uh, end of the year that, that could help you feel okay about the rest, you know, the future of this? Because there's a lot of questions around this team right now. If they can come out of this game, Patrick, and there's no talk about Ohio State being soft. In fact, it's the opposite. People are like, wow, Ohio State stood in there toe-to-toe with Georgia. really could have went either way. And I think Ohio State's got a, a good chance of winning this game. You know, I'd put it at maybe like 55-45 Georgia. I'm close, to, I'm close to a coin flip game here. Buckeyes are very dangerous as an underdog. Percentage, not score, right? Yeah, right. Yes, yes. 55-45 <laughs> percentage. Thank you. Yes. And the anal- I'm not too far off from the analytics. The analytics say 58% Georgia, 42% Ohio State. So I'm, I might be even more, more of a coin flip game. But if, if they do lose a close game, but people are saying, like, oh, forget about calling Ohio State soft. Are you kidding me? Did you see what they did? Did you see Luke Whipler out there against Jalen Carter? Not that he's going to, like, whip Jalen Carter, but he was able to hold his own against Jalen Carter. If that happens, Ohio State can shed the, their soft label. I don't really think they're soft. I just think this is just kind of, you know, we'll see. I mean, they no one was calling them soft in 2019. Ryan Day coached that team, didn't he? So I don't know, but it's a, it's become a thing. It's real. People are calling them a soft team, fans, media, everybody. So they got to shed that label, Patrick.
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, however you want to phrase it, soft, not physical, toughness, all that stuff. Um, you mentioned earlier, and I, I want to hit on this before you get out of here when we bring in Jordan Hill from our Georgia site. Also, real quick, I was on with uh, Jordan earlier. That podcast is already out if you want to listen to, to me talk about the Buckeyes. But uh, he said all of their staff is picking Georgia to win, but pretty close. So you know, there's confidence in Ohio State on that side of things, too. But you talked about the passing game earlier and how that's the key to success. Obviously, the focus will be on shutting down Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, can or does a guy like Mecca Buka or even a Julian Fleming have to have a big game for this to happen? I mean, you know, I think Marvin will still get his numbers, but Georgia clearly is going to focus in on trying to keep him contained because he's been the guy that CJ's gone to, especially in big moments. How do you see this passing game, you know, if Ohio State is able to throw on Georgia like we think they might, how do you see that breaking down with Georgia's secondary? Yeah, they have to have a second guy have a big game. Um, and, yeah, you're right. I mean, of course, they're going to be focused uh, mostly on Marvin Harrison Jr., but uh, but I agree. Even if they do focus mostly on him, um, he'll get his. And But they need someone else to step up. Not exactly like the Rose Bowl last year, but like Jackson was the main man, but then Marvin had his breakout performance with three touchdowns. You don't necessarily need like a Mecca to have three touchdowns. He needs to have a big game, in my opinion, as the number two wide receiver. And they need a third guy to at least, you know, have a solid game, maybe better than that. You mentioned Julian Fleming, maybe a Xavier Johnson. We keep hearing great things about Xavier Johnson, you know, and we've seen it. We saw it in the Notre Dame game and other times this year. Um, I tend to think I had a source tell me, like, watch out for Xavier Johnson on Saturday. He could be a big X factor. He didn't, he, no pun intended. X is going to be a big X factor, but um, they need so Marvin has to get his. Mecca needs to have a big game. I'm talking 100 yards and at least a touchdown because you can't say we're going to beat Georgia through the air, but you have like, you know, Marvin has a decent game and Mecca has like 60 yards. That's not going to get it done. They both have to be over 100 yards. And a third guy has to be like contributing somewhat heavily. Xavier Johnson, Julian Fleming. I know a lot of people have asked about Jaden Ballard. Listen, if Jaden Ballard hasn't played a lot now, do you think he, all of a sudden he's going to play a lot in the, in the uh, playoff semifinal? I don't think so. Must be a thing in practice. Again, we don't see practice. Is Jaden Ballard dropping passes in practice? I have no idea. But he's not getting any playing time. So I'd, I'd forget about that if you're a Buckeye fan. But they need two receivers to have a huge game and another guy to have a pretty big game. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'd also like to see them throw to the running backs a little bit more. I don't know where that's gone this year. I think that that's it's an easy way to get guys in space and let them do their thing. Um, you know, maybe not Mayan's biggest strength, but they've got guys that can do it and they haven't really. All right, Dave, uh, any final thoughts you want to throw out that we didn't cover or, or anything you want to leave the listeners with before you get out of here? I'll just say something that both you and Steve said that I didn't mention. I, I've, I've been impressed. Um, and if you're an Ohio State fan, I think you should be um, this, this should make you feel good. I've been impressed with the mindset of this team. I was wondering, you know, how a lot of these guys. You know, if they didn't make the college football playoff after the Michigan game, they basically said they were going to skip the bowl game. And I was wondering, are they going to be able to get mentally up for this challenge after getting a second life? And it sounds like they have. Now, they have to go out and prove it against a great team in their home state. But I've been impressed from Ohio State's perspective about, like you said, like, like a quiet confidence. They're certainly not cocky. They know they're in for a fight. But they believe they belong here. And they believe the Michigan game was an aberration. And they're thrilled to have a second chance. So guys like C.J. Stroud that were probably going to set up the bowl game, Paris Johnson, I don't think they've had any, had any problem being locked in. It feels like they're hungry. They're just happy to have this second chance at life. Agreed. Definitely agreed. All right, Dave, thanks. Keep up the right. good work upstairs. I'll continue to hang out downstairs. Uh, I assume I'll see you here at some point this evening. Yep. Hi, Jordan. All right. All right. Thanks, Pat. Appreciate it, man. All right. See you.
And that was Dave Biddle. Steve Hellagen was with us a little bit before. We're going to shift gears here on the Bucknuts Happy Hour. Bring in Jordan Hill, who covers Ohio or covers Georgia. Sorry, from uh, our Georgia site, Dogs Two Four Seven. Jordan, I feel like I just saw you about mm, a couple hours ago when we were doing your podcast. How's how's it been going since then? Um, yeah. Sorry about that. I was muted there for a second. Yeah, a lot has a lot has changed in the what, forty-five minutes, hour since we uh, since we spoke. But yeah, you know, uh, Patrick can speak to it. A busy week and uh, listen to all the coaches and listen to all the players. But you know, it's already Thursday afternoon. Pretty much countdowns on now until this game gets underway. Yeah, yeah, certainly. We were just talking about you know some of the some of the things we've taken away from talking to the Ohio state players. I'm curious, cause you you're here too. You've talked to, you've been in these interviews. What has stood out to you about Ohio state from a guy who hasn't covered it, hasn't been on the inside of it all year that, that you've gotten from some of these interviews. No, I think what I would probably describe as a quiet confidence from those guys. Um, I think that you've got good perspective from those players about say what went wrong against Michigan. Although they made it really clear they were tired of talking about that, which I get. I mean, that's all that has been talked about since that game ended. Um, that was sort of what I, I took away from that. And I even think back, you know, I was up there in New York when C.J. Stroud was up there, and I was really impressed just with sort of how he went about things and sort of his thoughts and um, just his perspective. But, I mean, I think at the end of the day, that's sort of what stands out to me is just um, you know, it, it didn't seem like that loss was really – Shaking those guys, um, it seems like they're ready to prove that that's not what this team boils down to, just the fact they lost to Michigan. Um, and I think you're seeing a team that's going to come into this game confident and, and really thinks they've got a shot at, at winning this thing. We were talking before how you know guys have been asked about Georgia last year losing in the SEC championship game, going on and, and winning the national championship. What changed of that Georgia team Obviously, it was a very good team, but what what was able to to allow them to bounce back, get a win, and then obviously go on and beat Alabama in the rematch in the national title from, from your perspective? Well, I think it was a situation where they understood essentially that they had another shot at it. I mean, you know, I, I, there was some thought that, you know, no matter what happened in the SEC championship game last year, Georgia's in the playoff, but I don't think they came into that game with that perspective. I mean, I think that, that was the goal you're playing Alabama, a team that – consistently had a number going back to before Kirby Smart was the head coach at Georgia. Uh, but I think that coming into that playoff, they understood that, you know, they had another shot that they uh, now had proved themselves. I think it does mirror quite a bit what Ohio State's going into this year. Um, looking at the fact that everyone, you know, probably is counting you out. And even if, you know, say last year, even if Georgia won, uh, that game against Michigan, I'm sure a lot of people thought, well, yeah, well, they're getting ready to get beat by Alabama again. Um, I think they understood that they had missed opportunities in that SEC championship game, that, um, you know, they had a couple turnovers that were really crucial and, you know, a few opportunities they couldn't get stops defensively and that kind of turned the tide in that game. Um, and I think you had a team that had a little bit of time to refocus, you know, just like um, Ohio State had roughly a month uh, to get ready for the semifinals, what Georgia was looking at last year. And uh, then they strung together two good games to, to snap what was, um, you know, a 41-year 40, uh, drought without a national championship. 
as I mentioned on <clears throat> your podcast earlier, Stetson Bennett's a guy that I think is just really interesting. You know, walk on, left Georgia, came back to Georgia. Um, you know, obviously was was a Heisman finalist this year, won the national championship. For Buckeye fans who haven't paid a ton of attention to him and his story, quickly kind of recap that for us and and what has allowed him to get to this point when I don't think anyone thought he was going to make it at this level. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those stories, and at this point, it's cliche to say it, but, uh, you know, if you wrote it in a movie script, it, it you would turn it down, and you say, well, that's not very realistic. He's a guy from Blackshear, Georgia, down in South Georgia, just a small town, and grew up a huge Georgia fan. He walks on to Georgia. Uh, he kind of first got in buzz at Georgia playing, essentially, uh, Baker Mayfield on scout team, getting ready for the Rose Bowl, which Georgia wound up winning. Uh, he leaves because he doesn't really see a path. He goes to junior college. He's set and pretty much lined up to go play at Louisiana Lafayette for Billy Napier. And then that signing day, Georgia realizes that they have a spot that they want to bring on another quarterback, and they bring Stetson back. And uh, he comes back. He waits behind Jake Fromm. Uh, he goes into 2020, still doesn't look like he's going to be able to play. Um, and they struggle out the gates the season opener. He starts for a few games and have a couple losses. Turn to JT Daniels. JT Daniels winds up starting the rest of the year. JT Daniels never lost a game as a starter at Georgia. Uh, at one point, JT Daniels was the Heisman favorite going into the 2021 season. That was right after SEC Media Day. JT Daniels gets banged up. Stetson comes in, and, I mean, it's, it's basically been the rest of history. I mean, Georgia uh, is able to find success down the stretch last season, and Stetson had probably his best games to that point during the playoff. And he came back, and this was his first offseason, where he was QB1, had a chance to work with the first-team offense, get all those reps. And I think some people lost sight of that. I mean, this was a guy that was never really looked at, especially in either of those offseasons, as the guy. And he was able to work with the first team. He came out firing that Oregon game. And, you know, it hasn't been a perfect season. There were stretches. There was a three-game stretch uh, where he didn't have a, a single passing touch in those games. Um, but he's come on strong, played well in all of Georgia's big games this season. And uh, it's coming off a really good showing in the LSU game that I think was huge in getting him to New York as a Heisman finalist. The running back by committee approach, I think, is familiar to both of these teams. They've both done it all year. Talk us through Georgia's running backs and why that's been successful. I think that's something Georgia's for a while now. But who who is Ohio State going to have to take care of business against on, on Saturday? Yeah, Georgia's done a good job um, even before Curry took over as far as having a good running back by committee and not having a lean on just one guy. Uh, Kenny McIntosh has been the lead back. He's been a guy that uh, I think has really started to run even better between the tackles than he did early in the year. A lot of his stuff was outside and, and also even lining up sometimes outside wide because he's a very good uh, pass catching back. Uh, Kendall Milton, uh, was banged up in the middle of the season. He was a guy that was kind of looked at as part of a one-two punch uh, with Kenny McIntosh. But Kendall's come on strong. Uh, played really well at the end of the Georgia Tech game. Uh, played really well against LSU in a game that really ran the ball well, uh, even though they had a lot of plays through the air. Uh, and then they've those have been really the two lead backs, Dejan Edwards 
has been a guy that really stepped up, especially when Kendall Milton wasn't playing. And then you have a true freshman, Branson Robinson, who has shown strides, has shown that he is capable, but he's still young, and, and you can see it at times. Uh, he's not quite had the consistency of some of those other guys. So uh, they've got very deep, stable backs. I think that helps. Um, I think the fact I wrote about this, uh, I think that was yesterday, just the fact that they've had a little bit of time off between games. I mean, I think it's only going to help those running backs continue to kind of keep tread on the tires and, and know that they don't have to rely on just one or two of those guys. I know they've got a capable uh, group of backs that can make plays if they're out there. We've heard a lot about the tight ends. Uh, yeah, you look at the passing numbers, and, and that's where a lot of the the yardage and receptions and everything come from. What makes these two tight ends so good? What have teams done that have had success against? Have teams had success against them? I mean, is there a te- is there any sort of blueprint out there of slowing both of them down in one game? Not that I've really seen this year, and I mean that's been the challenge. And there's been times for me they had had the targets, but it's one of those things with this offense, especially with a look at like A.D. Mitchell, uh, who was expected to be the number one receiver coming into this year. Looks like he's finally back, and uh, he's been a guy that's battled injuries all year. Uh, when they've not put up really big numbers in games, Georgia's been able to rely on other guys. But with these tight ends, um, just two guys that uh, are able to catch the ball well, I'd say uh, Brock Bowers more so than Darnell Washington. But Darnell's just – such a big body at six seven, uh, a guy that uh, both those guys, though, especially, obviously get a lot of attention in the in, uh, passing game. But hellacious blockers, I mean, they are huge. There's a lot of plays where you see those running backs pretty much ride in the backs of those tight ends because of what they're able to do to create space. Um, just uh, you know, they basically are co-starters because you see a lot of two tight end sets with these guys. Uh, they can do a lot of things, and you know, I mean, it goes back to what the Patriots were doing when they, you know, had guys like Aaron Hernandez and and uh, Rob Gronkowski. They're just such mismatches, and and you know, do you try to put a linebacker on those guys and hope they can keep up, or try to put a defensive back and, and just hope they don't get bowled over? Um, that's not always worked, and there's been highlights that come from both those guys of being able to make plays and. Um, yeah, they, again, they, there have been a few games where uh, they didn't put up huge numbers, but Georgia found a way to get other guys involved. And in the big picture, it didn't really affect how Georgia's offense was able to play. Defensively, you know, just numbers-wise, this has been the best rush defense in the country. Um, obviously, Jalen Carter's a big part of that. But what does this defense do so well that has limited – other teams running the ball and, and how key has that been to getting Georgia where it is right now? I think it's huge. And I think it's the defense that is always attacking and they're good at swarming to the football. It's usually not just one guy uh, on the whole. Uh, they are very good, at not missing tackles. Um, I haven't looked at this stat since really late in the season, but uh, you know, looking at like pro football focus, you compared Georgia's missed tackles to other teams in the SEC, and Georgia was by far number one, and it wasn't particularly close. When they have guys uh, in position to make plays, more often than not, they do that. And, you know, I think a lot of credit goes to those inside guys like Jalen Carter, who I think has been playing outstanding. And I think, you know, he's one of those guys that I do think real shame that he played through – um, you know, injury for most of this year. He was not healthy for the better part of this year. I think had he been, 
you know, even close to 100%. You know, he, he could have been a guy that would not have only brought home some individual awards. I mean, you know, I feel like with what Heisman wanted to turn into, if he had a full season, he could have been one of those guys you talk about as a potential defensive player who could have gotten some love for that award. But also Georgia's inside linebackers, you know, Jamal Dumas Johnson, Smile Munden, those are guys that had to step up. And you think about the talent Georgia lost at inside linebacker. Uh, Clay Walker was a first-round pick. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Nick Dean, the way he was able to play. Uh, Channing Tittle, these are all guys that got drafted in the first three rounds back in April. And Georgia's shown that they're in okay shape. Uh, bringing in, you know, those two guys, Smallman and Jamal Dumas Johnson, are two sophomores. And uh, they've been pretty much heat-seeking mi- missiles to the ball all season. And uh, I think Smallman has really come on strong. Uh, Jamon bounced back from what was a few kind of rough games that I thought finished the season fairly well. Um, they've just done a very good job of being where they got to be uh, tracking the ball, and when they get there, they're more than likely to make a play. The secondary, the stats, you know, pass defense stats aren't at the same level as a rush defense. Is that fair to say that this isn't a good pass defense, or are there, you know, just a couple games? I mean, how do you, how do you evaluate this pass defense from someone who's covered it week after week after week, as opposed to maybe me just looking at the numbers? I think on the whole, they've been pretty good. Uh, I think that there have been moments where they've given up explosive plays, and, and to me, that's what you know, when I've talked about this game, I've been made I've made sure to say that you know Ohio State has a chance. I don't think anyone coming into this game, you know, whether you're a Georgia fan, whether you're an Ohio State fan, um, you know, I, I've made sure to say Ohio State's got. Uh, a chance to win this game because Georgia is vulnerable uh, in the secondary. They've given up explosive plays at times during the year. Um, you look at a game like Missouri, which was at this point the closest Georgia's come to losing a game, and some of those explosive plays to the air really put Missouri in a position to win that game, and it really took a fourth-quarter rally from Georgia uh, to finish that thing off and get out of Columbia with a win. Um, there's just been moments where they've had missed opportunities. There's been plays where – you're in position to make an interception. It doesn't happen. Um, you know, you, you during the LSU game, you know, again, you, you have to consider Georgia scores 50 points. They win that game by 20. But you give up 502 passing yards. You give up a lot of those yards to the backup quarterback. Um, just seemed like there was some miscommunication. There seemed like there were just situations where guys were just called out of position. And uh, going way back to when this game was first announced, I really looked at Keely Ringo as the key to this game. Uh, Georgia's cornerback. For the people who uh, may not know much about Georgia, he was the guy in the national championship game that has the pick six that essentially seals the championship. And, you know, he's been up and down this year. He's a guy that could very well be a first round pick. He's thought of very highly, but uh, he's had miscues. He's had missed uh, opportunities where he's uh, been able to be in position to make plays and just failed to do so, Um, had missed tackles. A very talented guy, and I will credit him and say he played really, really well in the Tennessee game, which at the time Tennessee was the number one team in the nation. Uh, But he's got to step up. He's got to play his best game given the talent at wide receiver uh, because if he struggles and if they find, uh, uh, you know, holes in this secondary and opportunities to hit shots, you know, I have no doubt C.J. Stroud can do that. Georgia has to show up ready to go. Um, in order to keep this Ohio State offense in line and, and kind of, you know, you're going to give up plays, but you have to limit those if you're going to have a chance to win. 
you mentioned, you know, you're giving Ohio State a shot. We talked on your podcast about the guys on your guys' staff all pick in a close game. Um, what do you get the sense of the, the fan base? Um, do you think that this is one of those where, you know, we're in the SEC, we're the defending national champions, you know, Ohio State's a Big Ten team coming down to the south, we're going to roll? Or do you think that there is a, a bit more respect from, from the fan base for Ohio State? I think that there it's kind of funny. It's like there's different uh, factions of the Georgia fan base because sure. I've seen some people who – you know, say, oh, well, it's Georgia, the way they've been able to play all year, we should be in good shape. And I've seen other people, you know, I was looking on social media today and people being like, essentially, y'all need to shut up <laughs> just because of the talent Ohio State has. And, you know, I mean, I think that's fair with any fan base. You know, there are going to be people that are worried about not overlooking things. But uh, I think people understand that Ohio State's talented. You know, I think that a lot of fans – Again, you know, being fans are going to think that Georgia is in the driver's seat. And, and again, they are the number one seed and they have played well. Um, but, you know, it's hard to ignore the talent Ohio State has. Um, I do think that people are understanding and recognize the fact that this game is basically in Georgia's backyard. And uh, I do think Ohio State will travel well. I, I'd expect to see a lot of Ohio State fans there. But, I mean, it's just right down the road for Georgia fans. So there could be some that decide – you know, they're so confident they're not going to come to this game, try to save money to go to L.A. Um, but I think that um, the, the fans that have really kept up with it understand that this Ohio State offense is really dangerous. And uh, I'm sure we'll see more of that in the next couple of days as we get closer. There will be some fans deciding that it's already, to, you know, the game's over and go ahead and get ready while others are, are kind of pumping the brakes saying this could be a really competitive game. More of a big-picture question here. Maybe I should ask this off the top, but um, Kirby Smart, what has he done to change this program? You know, obviously, it was a good place prior to, to him arriving, but you become the national champions. Obviously, that changes things, and, and he's been building this, I think, for a while. What, what has been the difference with him as the head coach? I think it was a situation where there were a lot of missed opportunities uh, with the previous regime of Mark Rick, who, you know, accomplished a lot and a very successful coach, but they had their moments. I mean, they had opportunities to be a championship winning program, uh, you know, whether it be uh, 2002 when they wind up losing to Florida and that kind of knocks him out of it. 2012 SEC championship game comes down to the wire, um, gets stopped short late, wind up losing to Alabama. And I think you kind of had a situation where, you know, Kirby Smart, a former Georgia defensive back, comes back to his alma mater, sort of has that blueprint that he sort of fine-tuned with Nick Saban and learned under his tutelage of how things need to be done and, and building a standard and building those expectations. And they came in and um, not only sort of set those standards and had talent right away, um, you know, with having guys like Nick Chubb and, and Sony Michelle, some of those guys, that were already on the roster, which certainly helped and a big reason why they went to the national championship game in his second season, uh, but then just came in and just recruited lights out. I mean, they've just done an outstanding job uh, year after year. Really early on, it was really hitting the state of Georgia uh, very, very hard and, and keeping a lot of in-state talent home. And you know, really since then, going you know national and, and becoming – uh, a program that you can count on to, to be in the top five at the very least, uh, be in the hunt to be the number one recruiting class year after year. Um, it's just been a situation where he has come in and, and found ways to you know set the standard high. Um, I think that that win 
with it being against Alabama back in January, I think for a lot of people and probably a lot of people in the program, that was crossing a bar that they were still waiting to reach, you know, because they had come close against Alabama a few times. Um, and I think, you know, even if they would have won that national championship in January and it had not been Alabama, been another team, I do think there would be, especially people in the fan base, probably not as many uh, within the program that said, well, we still can't beat Alabama. Um, I think that that was huge for this program and sort of how it sees itself in the pecking order with the entire country. And uh, I think that that was huge. And, and at this point, the fact that they're, you know, two wins away from a national title, whether it happens or not, um, I think that that just shows you that they have stacked this program with talent. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. Finish this sentence. Georgia wins if. I think it kind of goes back to what we just said. Georgia wins if they find a way to contain the Ohio State passing game. And I think, again, you're not going to stop it. We're not going to look at this box score at the end of the game and say, well, Ohio State only threw for 75 yards. That's not going to happen. They're going to make plays. But they have to limit explosive plays. They have to get stops. They have to force field goals rather than giving up touchdowns. I just think that's really the – the key to this game and the the two things I've talked about when it comes to this game has been Ohio State's passing game and then sort of on the other side physicality and, and can Ohio State particularly their offensive line can they match the physicality of Georgia on the defensive line uh, waiting to see that but again um, we know what CJ Stroud and those receivers can do um, but can Georgia find ways to get enough stops you know not let them light up the scoreboard and especially early in the game, because that's what Georgia did a good job against LSU was building that lead and then, you know, making a comeback. And, um, you know, as much scoring as LSU was able to do in the second half, it, it just didn't matter. It was never necessarily in a place where you said this game is, is very much back in contention. It, it just wasn't because of what Georgia was able to do early. Um, so that's sort of how I see this. It's, it's going to be if Georgia's secondary can find ways uh, to just – limit the amount of success they're able to have through the air and uh, if it's enough to kind of give them a cushion to build a lead. If there's a, who is a player that maybe we haven't touched on and, and Ohio State fans don't know um, that, that could have an impact in this game that just maybe no one's talking about at this point, uh, at least from like a national Ohio State perspective? I think I would point to the other cornerback, Kamari Lassiter, who uh, is a young guy who had to step up. They lost Darian Kendrick, who had transferred from Clemson. Uh, he played his uh, one and only year at Georgia last year. He goes pro. Um, and, you know, it, it was a real competition to fill that role, and, and Kamari has done it. And I, I think really played very well th- down the stretch of the season and showed you that he could be counted on. And, uh, again, you know, the, it's going to be a situation where, you know, in that LSU game, Akili Ringo was targeted a lot. I think Pro Football Focus had it at like 11 targets, which was the most among Georgia's secondary members. Uh, but they didn't throw at Kamari Laster, who is the younger of the two corners. And I think that part of that is because he's done a really good job. And I think he's grown into that role. I think you see a guy that uh, has understood and, and kind of, uh, you know, grown with the expectations of playing that position because, you know, with these defensive backs, 
they're being coached by two guys in Kirby Smart and Will Muschamp who have spent a lot of time working with defensive backs and have a good track record of growing these guys and uh, helping them understand how to play the position. So Kamari's who I would point to and say that uh, he's got a chance to be a playmaker in this game and, and be a big difference maker for Georgia. All right, Jordan, that's all I got for you. Thanks for uh, doing this. As uh, as we talked about earlier, it's a, it's a busy week, but I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us, and I think that was good insight for, for Buckeye fans and listeners out there. Absolutely, I enjoyed it. I appreciate you having me on, Patrick. All right, and again, I did Jordan's podcast earlier, so you can check that out if you want. Thanks again, Jordan. Yeah, sure thing. See ya. All right, well, I think we've covered a lot of ground on this week's Bucknuts Happy Hour. If you missed any of it, you can grab it back on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. It should be archived on there. But we had Dave Biddle and Steve Hellwagon on earlier. They talked with me about what our impressions from this week, um, what we've gathered from the Ohio State players, and, and we kind of broke some things down about this game from the Ohio State side. And then on the flip side, Jordan, who just finished up, was uh, was talking to us about the Bulldogs. And, look, I, I think that they've given a lot of respect to them over there on the, on our Georgia site. So if you want to check out any of the work that they've done, uh, please do. They do great stuff, not just Jordan, but but his colleagues as well. This is going to be an interesting one. We're, we're, as we're recording this, we're two days out. I think, while I think most people are picking Georgia and our, our staff picks will come out on Friday, um, you know, I, I think people are, are at least showing Ohio State some respect here if, if you're talking to people who, who really have paid attention to these two programs. So I think it's going to be a fun one. I'm excited to, to cover the game on Saturday evening and, uh, you know, just even going over to the stadium, uh, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, twice already for, for practice. It's a pretty cool venue. I've never been there before. So I'm looking forward to it. I think I think we'll have a fun one. Um I'm not thrilled that it's on New Year's Eve. I don't think many people are, but it is what it is, right? We That's the way they scheduled it. So all the Bucket fans out there, anyone listening, Happy New Year. We will uh, probably reconvene hopefully next week after the Buckeyes win. We'll be talking about who they're matching up with in the national championship. But if not, we will be talking then. Dave will do a post-game show uh right here so so check back for that afterwards i think he's still doing a bm5 tomorrow with with jay book so so one more one more podcast before the show kicks off still plenty more coverage on buck nuts lots of stuff to on there already from today so if you haven't checked that out please do like subscribe all that good stuff always helps us and if you're uh if you're interested maybe become a buck nuts vip member if you're not that uh that obviously directs us out we'll uh We'll, we'll see what happens Saturday night. We'll see what happens. It should be a fun game. I don't expect this to be 31 nothing or anything like the Clemson game. I think this would be two of the most talented teams in the country, maybe the two most talented teams in the country going at it. But we'll see how it all plays out. Anyway, I'm Patrick Murphy with Bucknuts, and, and thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Bucknuts Happy Hour. Enjoy the game. Have some fun. The Buckeyes are back in the playoff. One game away from playing for a national title. Who would have thought that a few weeks ago, right? Anyway. Cheers, Buckeye fans.
was a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.